While you're finding your seat, take your Bibles and find the book of Jonah as well. A small book in the Old Testament. While you're finding that book with your eyes and your hands, listen with your ears for a moment as I share with you some wise words from D.L. Moody, an evangelist of days gone by who had a heart for lost people and saw them just the way God does. He was conducting some meetings in London. One of his British companions asked him, he said, Mr. Moody, how is it that you have such great success in leading people to Christ? Without saying a word, Mr. Moody motioned for his companion and said, come to the window. And so they both went to the window and looked out upon some busy streets below. Mr. Moody asked the man, he said, what do you see? And his companion said, I just see crowded streets, and cars and people. To which Mr. Moody said, look again, tell me what do you see? A little flustered, he said, well, I see men and women. They're part of that crowd. And Mr. Moody said to him again, peer a little closer and tell me again, what do you see? He kind of threw his hands up. He said, I don't know what you want me to say. I see just people, boys, girls. I see crowds. And then D.L. Moody put his arm around his companion. And he said, let me tell you what I see. I see lost people who are without Jesus going to hell. And he said, until you see them that way, you'll never lead them to Christ. Those words are not only ringing for our generation, they're also stinging, aren't they? For sometimes we have failed to see people in that way. We see them as perhaps ways, to, as maybe avenues to get our way. We see them as objects that we can use for our own purposes, but God sees people as valuable, as important, as precious. And those that are lost, they all not spend eternity with him. And God cares about that. And he asks us to care as well. In fact, he asked an, a prophet a long time ago to care about a wicked pagan nation. Jonah was asked to care about some folks who lived in Nineveh. He wasn't real fond of that request, though, was he? And so he boarded a ship and hit the road. And that's become the story we know of Jonah and the what? Nope, Jonah and the great fish. Good try, though. Okay, I set you up. Sorry, you know, a little fun for us here somewhere, right? Really, the, well, the word well is never mentioned in the book of Jonah. It's only referred to as a great fish. And so Jonah is swallowed by this great fish. He's vomited up by this great fish. He does preach in Nineveh. The whole city repents and Jonah's mad. And the book ends with God doing more than saving a city. God actually adjusts a prophet's attitude. He holds a spiritual surgery. He does a heart transplant in this prophet of his who had already preached a revival. You know why? Because Jonah, in all of his good work, in all of his in all of the ways that he was probably obeying, yes, he still had a hard problem. He didn't see people like God saw them. And the story of Jonah is more than a story about a city named Nineveh. It's more than a story about a man named Jonah. It's about a, it's about a God who is trying to get people and prophets to see lost people like he does. Well, you find that book. You've got it, right? Jonah chapter 1. You found it by now. It's 
in a, the latter part of the Old Testament. We're going to be walking through this book over the next 13 weeks in the series called Nowhere to Hide. You'll discover that Jonah was exactly in that situation. He had nowhere to hide. He tried a ship. He tried a different country. He tried a whale. But he couldn't hide from God. He finally had to obey. I think God will do that to us with these next 13 weeks. He will expose our excuses. He will take away the places we run to hide. And he will bring us to a place where perhaps we'll have the same kind of heart transplant, the same kind of spiritual surgery, and we'll begin to see people like God sees them. With that in mind, let me introduce you to this man named Jonah. I want to walk you through this morning just on a brief overview of the man and the book. I'll talk to you a little bit about our series coming up. And I'll just make some a real simple point to close out. We'll begin our verse by verse study next week. But I want to kind of give you an overview, kind of a flyby, if I, if I could, of this book. First of all, Jonah the man. Let me say, uh, first of all, that, and you may think this is odd, but follow me. Jonah 1.1 makes an incredible statement that I want you to look at with me. Look at Jonah 1.1. You're there. Your Bibles are open. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And then it talks about what he was to do. Now listen very carefully. Jonah was first and foremost a real person. You say, Todd, why do you tell us that? Because of all the 39 books in the Old Testament, Jonah is the one most... Um, doubted, and I'll use the word skepticized. That's not even a word, but it is now. Jonah's the one that most liberal scholars and unbelievers say, oh yeah, that's a neat story, but it's probably not true. I mean, who really gets swallowed by a great fish? And so they try to dismiss the whole account. Let me say to you, first and foremost, Jonah, just like Elisha, he was a contemporary of Elisha, he was a contemporary of Hosea and Amos, Jonah was a real person, and his story is real. He had a father. His name was Amittai. They were raised in the, in the geographical portion of the promised land that was given to Zebulun. One of those 12 tribes. Remember the book of Joshua? We studied how the land was divided. Well, in this portion of land given to Zebulun, that's where Jonah's ancestors were raised. That's where he came from. Now, watch this. That area of land basically became known as Galilee later, which is where Christ spent a lot of his time. So it's not surprising that later on, the Jews really knew about Jonah. He had come from that very region. Jonah was much revered. He was, a, he was a prominent figure in Jewish history. He was a real person. What we're reading over the next 13 weeks is not fiction. It's not mythological. It's true, and it holds great truth for us. Amen? His name means dove. That's odd, isn't it? That a man who was designed to go preach against the wickedness of a city, his name actually means love, dove. In the Bible, Doves are usually symbolic of peace. And I think there's an interesting message in that. When we, likewise, are called to represent Christ as an ambassador, it's to be done in a way that is peaceful. Are you with me? I mean, Jonah wasn't asked to go to Nineveh. He was asked to tell the truth. Yes, he wasn't asked to go there and like start a riot or cause a problem. I think Jonah was, was asked to go to Nineveh, preach against his wickedness, but there was this this uh, uh, understanding that, Jonah, I want you to go and be who your name says you are. Be a, a peace bearer. And if we are representing Christ and speaking the truth, there is no greater way to peace than through Jesus. By the way, his father's name, Amittai, means truthful. Interesting that as a prophet, he was from a family, from a father whose name meant truth, and he was given a peace. He was to bring the, pe the truth in a peaceful way. Interesting thing about Jonah. 
Furthermore, he was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. You may think that's an odd bit of information. Let me tell you why I'm telling you that. Often when we think about Jonah, we think about a, a, a man or a prophet who was just kind of on the scene in time for Nineveh. And then he's done with. He just kind of was invented to help the great fish story have a character. Jonah wasn't just a Nineveh uh, focus only. Jonah had a ministry in the northern kingdom. And Nineveh was part of that ministry. In fact, he was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Long before, not long before, but before he went to the city of Nineveh to preach against his wickedness. Jeroboam II was one of the kings about 180 years after the kingdom was divided. Now, the other Jeroboam was the very first king of the, of the northern kingdom. 180 years pass, approximately. Jeroboam II comes in. And in 2 Kings 14, I believe it is, Jonah actually gives a prophecy to the northern kingdom to that king. He says, Israel will experience a great uh, success. Your borders will really grow under the reign of Jeroboam II. He was actually a prophet during this king's reign, and it exactly happened that way. Israel began to see large uh, a land mass kind of come under their, their rulership. Their success was, was phenomenal, but the price of that was that their spirituality began to wane. They began to have success without substance. And in fact, the very people that God raised up, uh, Syria and Babylon, they were brought in because of this great success that happened under Jeroboam's the second, the second reign. It was a time of idolatry and wickedness, but it was prophesied by Jonah that this would happen. So he was a real figure. He, re- he prophesied during the king's reign, and he, he prophesied some, some things that sounded good to the ears, but they really didn't play out well in the end because it brought God's judgment. Jonah was a real man. He was revered by the Jews of Christ today. And I want you to keep that in your back pocket because you'll find people who will uh, think that Jonah is just as kind of a neat fictional story. You may know them by the copier, or you may see them at the water cooler. You may talk to them at the store or the bank. And I want you to be grounded enough to know, you know what? Jonah wasn't fictional. He was a man who had a father. There's a geographical place he lived, and he's mentioned the New Testament twice by Christ. And stand up for your faith. Stand up for the Word of God and let them know, you know what? This story is real and truthful. It's a real man. This real man authored a book of four chapters. Let's talk about Jonah the book for a minute. This small little book is one of 12 minor prophets. It's just 48 total verses. You know, that's shorter than some chapters in the Bible. Here we have a whole story contained in 48 verses. And by the way, out of those 48 verses, eight of them are a prayer in Jonah's, uh, from Jonah's experience in the great fish. So only 40 verses tell the entire story. You probably want me to take classes from Jonah. I know about how to tell things shortly. But Jonah had a way to understand word economy, didn't he? This book, this 48-verse book, story, seems to be um, accented by what I call four but-God passages. Because these 48 verses pack a powerful punch, and they, are, are, they really come together at four places. And they happen at the end of every chapter. It's what I call a, a, a but-God passage. Let me show them to you real briefly. You have your Bible there open? Look at the end of Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Here's the phrase, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. You may think, wow, thanks a lot, God. But remember, the only other option was the bottom of the sea. Are you with me? So God steps in. God interrupts this situation. God bursts on the scene and provides a rescue. His mercy is shown. His saving grace is made evident. Look at the end of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. After Jonah prays, he says in verse 9, Salvation comes from the Lord. 
And what may very well have been a response of God's to Jonah's repentance, it says in verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it did what? Vomited Jonah on the dry land. He didn't let Jonah stay there. He said, Jonah, I'm hearing your prayer. I'm ready for you to get back to work. You ready to obey now? And I suspect Jonah said, sure. Enough time in these situations and accommodations. And the well, up comes Jonah. God stepped in, didn't leave him there. He had work for him to do. Look at the end of chapter 3. Jonah does go and do his work. He preaches what's the shortest known message in the Bible. Just a matter of a few words. The whole city repents. And by the way, we'll cover why it was so short as we get to this chapter. There's some reasoning why this message was so short. But the city listens. They repent. And look at verse 10 of chapter 3. The third of our but God passages. When God saw that uh, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had what? Compassion. He did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Wow, isn't that awesome? God stepped in. His mercy was displayed. His grace was made known. End of chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 are another but God passage. Here, though, God does not interrupt a city. He doesn't interrupt a fish's existence. He doesn't interrupt a a ship's journey and the sailors. He interrupts Jonah's life. Personally, intensely. You have to read the whole chapter to kind of get the sense of what I'm about to say. But basically, after Jonah's angry over a plant dying, the Lord comes and he lays Jonah on the table of his surgery. And he says, Jonah, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You see, God stepped in, not just to a, to a city and not just into a fish or a bunch of sailors. Here, God steps into Jonah's life and interrupts his nicely packaged uh, way of thinking. Wait, God, I want you to be nice to me. Sure, God, I want you to be nice to the Jews. Sure, God, really help Israel, but I don't want you to do anything about those wicked pagans known as Ninevites. Just let them die and let them go to hell. After all, God, haven't you seen them? Don't you know about them? But God says, Jonah, you're not thinking like me. There's 120,000 people who don't know their right, but they don't know what's right and wrong. Jonah, should I not be concerned about them? He says, I need you, Jonah, to have a heart like me. I suspect in this series, these next 13 weeks, God's going to do more than interrupt your friend's life. He's going to do more than, than burst on the scene in your family. I suspect God's going to drag you as well out into the, maybe the, the middle of the operating room. He's going to expose your heart and leave you nowhere to run. And He's going to ask you to value people just like He does. That's right. People that you probably don't value a lot right now. They're called your enemies. That's what Nineveh had, you know. They were the enemies of the Israelites. We'll get more into this whole topic over the next 13 weeks, but just be prepared for God to burst on the scene in your life and interrupt your nicely packaged American schedule because he wants to give you a heart like he has a heart for people. And that's really how our series is going to unfold. We're going to be kind of doing some things in this series to help you understand 
this book. And I'm going to kind of give you that in this next uh, few minutes. Let me kind of walk you through what our series will contain. It will contain four in intentional response Sundays. Okay? And listen very carefully, First Family. Each of these but God passages will be a Sunday in which we'll ask all of you to make a decision in some way or another. We'll probably have a number of different decisions, the different ways you can respond. And we're going to encourage all of us to respond. Myself, uh, our leadership, our attenders, our members, all of us. Because I've discovered that often it's easier when someone's here for the first or second time to make a decision for Christ in a really important area when all of us are making decisions. And so for the, for the next 13 weeks, there'll be four of those weeks in which we're going to ask all of you to, to make a decision in regards to what we've been learning in Jonah. I will stretch you. We're going to prompt you to make some commitments for Christ without apology. That's kind of the first family way. Here's my suggestion. Continue to invite people. Continue to invite your friends and bring them with you, especially on these four, what I would call maybe but God Sundays, times in which we'll really intentionally seek decisions. You may find that that's an environment where they'll be able to make a really good decision for Christ as well because that's going to be the real nature of what we're all doing that day. So four of those Sundays are on the horizon. We're going to spend three weeks in every chapter. So that's going to be fun for me. We're not going to be rushed through 60 verses perhaps in some chapter or a whole whole big lengthy discussion here. We're going to take our time spend three weeks in every chapter. That's a lot of time for just 48 verses. I'm excited about that. There's going to be two extra places for you to get some insight and help. One is your lighthouse. Please connect to a lighthouse. Uh, you can start next week if you're not in one by signing up and connecting. They'll hold you accountable. They'll teach the truth uh, and some different ideas about it. They'll help you understand it better. It's just They'll apply it in a, in a better way. They'll have more time. So please understand your lighthouse is an awesome place to help the message sink a little deeper. And also our, our website will have my blog there as well as the study helps our lighthouse leaders are using. And if you want to access those, go to our website. The front page on the left will be some of the study guides. Uh, there's not necessarily a study guide for each participant, but there are some things for our leaders, and you're welcome to view those as well. But all that's designed because we have one overall prayer, and that is that we will grasp the heart of God as revealed in the small book of Jonah. It's a heart for people. In fact, if I had to give you an overall point of Jonah, if I had to say, what's the, what's the point of Jonah in just a few simple words? I'd say it like this. God values people. I'd take one book of 48 verses, four chapters, and I'd say when I read this book, I'm left with one primary thought. God values people. Let me say that again too, because I don't think you quite heard me. God values people. Yeah, the one that you criticized last night around the dinner table. God values people. The one you were gossiping about or plotted evil against. The one you were hoping you could get away from, didn't answer the phone or respond with the email or go to the door. Yeah, all those people that you think are a bother in your life. I got news for you. Jonah leaves me with a simple understanding that God values people. In fact, let me take you back to this last but God passage. And let's look at Jonah's surgery a little closer as we close. Because you're going to find the conviction is uh, not limited to Jonah. Look what God says to Jonah. Verse 10 again. Let's look back at this passage. The Lord said to him, you have been concerned about this vine. Let's stop there and think about that statement. Was Jonah concerned about people? No. What was he concerned about? Stuff. 
namely a plant. You ever felt that way? You ever been more concerned for stuff than you were for souls? I have. I've watched my life over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this and thinking about how sometimes I'm way too much like Jonah. It's amazing how quick I want to guard something against getting scratched. Hey, watch that. Don't touch that. That's new. Don't, 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 unless you don't break that and don't scratch that and, and you're going to bring that back, right? I guard and protect my stuff and sometimes when it comes to people's souls, I'm very nonchalant. Well, yeah, I got to call them. Well, I'll call them someday. I need to reach out to them. Well, I need to pray for them when I get around to it. But man, if it's something of my stuff, and I found myself just way too carnal. Have you ever felt like that? You can not like this because you have. A lot of you the same way. You protect your stuff just like I do. You're really, um, you're really into that side of life. But the soul side of life sometimes doesn't seem to, to be as important. We're just like Jonah, aren't we? He was all concerned about this vine. And by the way, he didn't even make the vine. He had nothing invested in the vine. It was strictly a consumer type of love. Are you with me? God says, you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died. But look at verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. That's right, Jonah. You're acting all upset about one vine. I'm trying to work with 120,000 people. Who cannot tell their right hand from their left. They're spiritually ignorant. They don't know what's right and what's wrong. There's many cattle as well. In other words, Jonah, are are, are you you getting this, Jonah? Now you see God's got Jonah stretched out. The bright lights are on him from the surgery room. He's peeling back the layers of his chest cavity. He's showing Jonah what's really inside. He's saying, Jonah will give you a heart transplant. You need a heart like mine. You need a heart that values people, not just plants or things that are good for you. Jonah, I want more than a consumer type of relationship from you. And so he says this last rhetorical question, should I not be concerned about that great city? And the answer is resounding yes, isn't it? And the answer for us is the same. We too should be concerned about people. I love these last two verses. Here Jonah's concerned about a plant he didn't even make. And he's mad because God is concerned about people that he created. It's funny how the created things can sometimes stick their finger in the face of the creator. And tell him what they think he ought to do. In these next 13 weeks, what do you say we let God do a heart transplant on us? And give us a heart that values people. And not just people you like who have your same last name. People, like in Jonah's case, who are considered your enemies. The Ninevites were considered that, you know. They were the enemies of the Israelites. It was the capital of the city, of the country of Assyria. The country that was going to take over. They were the enemies. And we'll explain more as we walk through this, why Jonah disobeyed and why he was reluctant. The bottom line is this, though. We see the heart of God clearly in these 48 verses, don't we? That God values people. And he asks the same of us. I'm sure glad that several years ago, a young Christian teenage girl valued Brian Welch. You may not know who Brian Welch is. 
But he was one of the founding members and lead guitarists for the group called Korn. They, for the last several years, probably 10 or so years, have been very famous on the rock chart. They're not the kind of group you want your kid to listen to. Their lead guitarist and one of their founding members was saved a few years back. You ought to read his story. It all happened because there was a girl. And she was consistently faithful in her witness. Distant, but always faithful. There were pastors in his life. There were people in his life who told him the truth. And This guy quit the band. And the book tells the story of how he got saved. And how he told his church about it. And how MTV and VH1 all showed up. Because they wanted to get this on record. This old rockers have become a Christian. He just spilled the truth clear as he could. Aren't you glad that there were some people who valued an old rock and roll, an old rock and roll drug addict? I'm glad there were people who valued a man named Rick Stanley. Rick Stanley is Elvis Presley's stepbrother or half brother. I'm not sure exactly. He just got to reading his book how he came to Christ, and he said he was put on Elvis's team when he was like 12. He got into his home when he was like 4 or 5. It's a long story. Read the book for yourself. But basically, at 12 years old, he began to be exposed to all kinds of stuff that happened before and after concerts. As a teenager, he was very rebellious. His parents tried Christian schools and different things to straighten him out. But all he wanted was the life that Elvis showed him. But there was another friend in his life who consistently valued Rick. And they never participated. They didn't condone it. But they were just there. And Rick writes in his book, he said, often after I'd get back from the road trip with Elvis, I'd lay in bed and know something's not right. I'd call my friend. And this book talks about how she always answered. And she always said, well, you can come on over. And my parents and I can talk to you about it. Rick finally got saved. He's now a traveling evangelist. He's 50-something years old now. That's not that old, by the way. He's a great voice for the Lord. Aren't you glad that someone saw some value in a teenager who thought he had the world by the tail because he was related to the king? He writes in his book, I'm now a child of the real king. You see, folks, there's people in your life that you probably right now don't see as very valuable. But God does. And I pray the next 13 weeks, God will do heart transplants in a lot of us. I hope he starts with me. I need one. And you probably do too. And that we'll begin, like Jonah, to value what God values. You see, really, that's the point of, of this uh, duplicate card you've been given. The who's in your wallet card. In fact, I'm going to ask you to take it out and look at it for a minute, would you? You can go ahead and perf it if you want and go ahead and... and Divide it in two because I want to ask you to turn one in a little bit. I suspect by now the Holy Spirit has been very clear with you about someone who needs to be more valuable in your life. It could be a mother or father or a brother or sister. They may not even live around here. I don't know. It could be a, a work person. It could be a boss or an employee. It could be someone on your basketball team, on your soccer team. It could be a, a friend in the neighborhood. It could be a number of people. In fact, on the back of that card... There's places for you to write some names. You may want to write four names. There's four blanks for those who like to do things just by the rules. That's what you'll do. 
Those of you who maybe like me have a little more of an aversive personality, you'll probably write 25 names on there and fill it up and just kind of smash it full, right? And some of you will write just one. The point is not how many you write. The point is that you will write a name on there. Someone that you're going to say, you know what, I want to start seeing them the way God does it. I'm going to do all I can to obey God and do my part to help them come to Christ. I want you to take this card. I want you to put it where your credit card normally goes in your wallet or your purse. My hope is that maybe this week or next week when you pull out your wallet or your purse to pay for something, you reach in for, your, for what's in your wallet and you realize, oh, who's in my wallet? You'll pull the card out and you'll see it and you'll say, oh, excuse me, to the cashier, that's the wrong card. And you'll realize, oh, yeah, people are valuable. And then you'll start thinking, oh, well, that means this person that I'm checking out was valuable. Maybe you'll start listening for needs in his or her life. Maybe you'll look for open doors to talk to that person, whether it's at Quick Trip or the bank or wherever you go. See, we're going to start thinking like the Lord. People are valuable. So keep this card with you. Keep it in your wallet. I want you to, uh, the other half, put the same names on it. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to turn them in down the front. We're going to pray over them and just ask God to begin to help us see folks come to Christ. Now, this card's more symbolic than you might think. Notice uh, this card's valid through when? April 12th. Who knows what April 12th is? It's Easter. Now, let me just share with you real plainly something that a lot of folks miss. None of you miss this, I know. But surveys have shown and tradition proves that Easter is the one time of the year when just about anybody would say yes to coming to church. You know that? And most of them come out of guilt. You know that, right? So, yeah, man, I probably ought to go on Easter. Man, I've not been a good boy or a good girl, and I can't miss Easter. That's, that's like the magic Sunday, so... So they'll probably go with you if you just invite them. I would take great advantage of a, of a Sunday in which lots of lost people would probably just go to church. And who knows what God might do? Who knows how God might interrupt their life? If they just got an invitation from, from someone who maybe said, you know, I'm going to start valuing people the way God does. I would really work to make sure that the people on the back of your card or at least with us in one of our services, if not before Easter, for sure on Easter. Also, there's an account number on your card, isn't there? Does anyone recognize what the account number is? It's the verses from the But God passages. Perhaps you want to take your card out on a weekly basis and just, you know, review your account number. Think about all the times in Jonah that God just interrupted things. He messed up that ship ride. He messed up that, and I mean that in a reverent way, don't get me wrong. He didn't mess up anything, you know what I'm saying. But God interrupted these sailors, he interrupted this fish, he interrupted the city of Nineveh, he interrupted Jonah. But God, when he does that, it's his way of saying, hey, listen, I've got something I want to do and I want to be a part of it. I'm glad God interrupted my life at 14. I'm glad at 14 the gospel was clearly presented. And God gave me the faith to believe and awakened my heart from spiritual deadness. And he saved me. He gave me the faith to believe in the gospel. And I embraced the gospel that day. And at 14 became a Christian. I'm glad God interrupted my life. Amen. He did it so much so that I've told this before. But it's just funny every time I think about it. When I got up from praying and was being talked to by some folks that I trusted. I remember walking out of that building and seeing my sister. And I just hugged her. My older sister. I didn't really hug her much at all. But... I really got saved. If you hugged your sister, are you with me? God interrupted my life. And there's some people in your world that are valuable to God. And we should begin to pray that God will interrupt their life. They need a divine interruption. And God 
perhaps would want to use you as part of that process. So that's what this card's all about. It belongs to a devoted follower of Jesus Christ who wants to undergo a heart transplant and begin to see people the way God sees them. By the way, I've already written my names on the one I'm going to turn in. There were six on there. There have been six on there for a while. I didn't really put 25, by the way. I just put six. Two of those got saved last year. And we're praying for the other four. My wife and I always end up having the same names in our cards because they're probably the ones our family is praying for. But I just ask you to, to walk with me in that. Just who do you have relationships with? And who has God put in your heart? You see, Nineveh was already in God's heart. And God was trying to get Nineveh in Jonah's heart. And I suspect Joe, John, Julie, Harry, Susie, Matthew, Bob, pick a name. They're already in God's heart. God's just trying to get them in your heart. That's the point of this card. So you've got a pen there probably hopefully handy. If not, ask them when you're for one. And begin to jot a name down there. I'm going to pray for us in a minute. That God will just help the truth of this overview of Jonah to sink deep. That his spirit will lead us to names. And then Josh is going to come and sing for us. You're going to see some pictures of people in anchoring. Just average people. You may even know some of them. And as God begins to lead your heart. As he directs your, your heart to a name. And he may, already, he may have already done that. Just bring your card and lay it by the port of Joppa. Can you do that? We'll collect all these cards. We've got the ones from the first service. And perhaps on the half you turn in, we'll create a who's in your wallet wall. And I can promise you this. As these cards get posted, those in our office, our church leadership, will pray every week with you for people that you value, that you want to see come to Christ. We'll pray that you'll have an obedient heart to invite, to share, to, to eat a meal with, to give a ride to, to help with an errand, to watch their kids, to do whatever you can to model Christ. It may be what kind of tips them over the edge and says, you know, I'm ready to believe in the God that you've been telling me about. But it's going to start by you putting a name on there. Pardon this expression, but who's your Nineveh? While you're coming during these pictures, our altar team is going to be here. Some select people who will pray with you, and our elders and deacons will be here as well. I'm asking them to come first in a little bit. And after you lay your card, if you want to spend some time praying for those names, I want to encourage you not to look at our church leadership as like, you know, the, the army who's watching you. Man, they're here to minister with you and to shepherd and to pray with you. Just reach out and grab one of them. Say, pray with me. Here's the name I wrote down. Here are the names I wrote down. And pray right then for those people. In fact, we're going to end this way today. We're going to spend some time praying. We're going to watch some pictures. You're going to move during the pictures and the slideshow and the song. And when you're done, you're welcome to leave. If God, if perhaps you don't want to be a participant, a part of this, you're welcome to just wait there and watch the slideshow. You can leave when we're done. God will direct you. But I'm praying that every person here will partner with us and keep one half of this in your wallet. Turn the other half in and for the next 13 weeks. Let's watch God redeem some people and refine some people. Amen. Do a heart transplant in us and bring us to a place where we value people as he does. In the process, his redemptive work is spread and people come to him. That's my prayer for First Family Church. I pray that as we study Jonah and hear the heart of God, it will change us. Let's bow in prayer, shall we, First Family?